bicycle I just want to ride on my motorcycle Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast episode number 147, maybe 148. I don't know. It's been a long day. We are coming to you from my place, uh, which would be Moto2 Podcast Network Studios. And I'm your host, Moto GP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. And of course, we're here as always in Northern Colorado, where we had the the sunniest of one of our 300 days of sunshine today. And we soaked it up. Who I... I did a lot of bike things today. So let's see, what are we going to talk about in this episode? We are going to do a little bit of a recap of our day at the track today. I know we've been doing that a lot, but today had some very interesting things happen. And then we're going to do best worst bike. And then we're going to talk about what if manufacturers veered wildly out of their lanes. So what if SSR made a bagger? Yeah. What if, uh, what did I say for Suzuki? Whatever. What if, what if these companies that traditionally make a certain kind of thing just got out of their lane and made something crazy? So who let's get to our track updates. Um, well, my day started with me riding my, my Vespa to work. Uh, which was great. I had a speed trap clock me at an honest 55 miles an hour today. Nice. That was good. We had, let's see. I bought some, some gear last minute for, for the boy to, to ride in. And then who, after going to work for just a little bit, I left and met up with you guys. I went and grabbed the kids and all our gear and, Holy crap, just the gear for me and the kids completely fills the trunk. I I just didn't real I, I had no idea how, just how much gear we bought. Who? So uh Cam showed up. Uh, well, I, I should say we bought another bike. Yeah. <laughs> we bought a, a Honda XR70. So we got an XR80 and XR70. And at some point, we'll have an SSR 70. I don't know. It it hasn't shown up. It was supposed to show up this month. It hasn't. Uh, I'm just thinking about going with the automatic model. But we'll get into that. So, whew, it was oppressively hot. Well, not that it was oppressively hot, but there was. we just had no shade today. So the sun really beat the shit out of everyone. Yeah. But that didn't stop it from being a great day. We got dad to show up with his vintage Enduro, the the CT175. What mm. year is it? Like 77? I thought it was like a 76. I'm Something not sure. like that. Uh, but super classic. Really awesome. And he looked like such a hero in his Honda coveralls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was the perfect thing to wear to ride that around. And yeah, everyone thought that was wild. And he just putted around at his own pace, but nothing wrong with that that's what it's all about and then i got both my kids riding today so with this bike with a semi-automatic um i mean it was kind of perfect it took like a minute to get comfortable balancing the bike because she couldn't quite well she couldn't put both her feet down at once 
but she started learning to do that move where you kind of just hold one leg over the seat and curl mm-hmm. your leg around the bike and you yeah. can she was in crisis for a solid five minutes but then as soon as it all came together like it was she was just off and then you couldn't get her to stop oh right yeah a little context for people that don't know this this girl is she has no fear she just has no fear she has well she has no fear of failure yeah um and she's very intuitive with the bike as i was watching her she was shifting her weight forward automatically when she was turning mm-hmm. um what was it 10 20 minutes and she was going over hills and jumps yeah uh she was getting the the back out of shape she's getting the front out of shape <laughs> yeah she was jumping it <laughs> she's if trying only to get six air inches right yeah she's just trying to get air right away uh and her day came to a crashing halt literally yeah <laughs> she well she was doing really well we we were in a practice area for like an hour or so maybe more and then she said i want to ride the track the kids 50cc track and i was like well okay you know we'll just leave the bike in first gear and just just go around in first gear don't do anything fancy and she's immediately passing other kids on the inside of turns and getting the tires off the ground on the the little jumps and everything the <laughs> she was just uh yeah she just took to it right away and everybody thought what you kept saying oh well you told us that she would get comfortable really fast but no one expected her to already have a baseline of decent technique she was leaning into turns when she needed to and all that stuff um obviously not lifting her leg up but I, I mean, if I tell her to do it, she'll do it. Uh, but today was just about having fun. No big things with technique or anything. I wasn't pushing a lot of stuff. I just wanted them to learn, you know, how to use the brakes, how the bike works, to be able to, you know, walk around it with one hand to to feel the weight of it, and then just putt around and have fun. And they both did that, but. Leica started getting a lot of confidence on the 50cc track. Maybe slightly too much confidence. Right. Well, she was having a lot of very little crashes because she was just going hard. Yeah. And uh, who knows? Maybe she would have done better if she had been more comfortable with the the semi-automatic gear shift Mm -hmm. rather than being just relegated to first or second gear. Because at one point we put the bike in second for her and just went half at it. And then we took that away really fast. <laughs> um, uh, so at one point she she's coming over some some bumps, some, some, I don't know what you would call it. Anyway, and then she's going into a turn. There's a mud puddle there. She loses the back, gets out of shape, whiskey throttles it, launches off the berm. And there was a big drop-off on the other side of this berm. She probably came down six feet. And she, like, where the bike was crashed when I arrived on the scene, I mean, she probably hucked this thing 12, 15 feet, somewhere in there. I think that's a little exaggerated, but it was it was a good 
It was a good distance. It, I, it was silly. She just hit it. She hit the top of that bird full throttle and just fucking hucked it. <laughs> and uh, she she got she knocked the wind out of herself, and that scared her a lot. She I don't think she's experienced that before, which is odd considering how many daredevil things she does. Yeah, but well, I was telling go. you. Oh, well, I was saying to you earlier. It seemed like during our childhood, like every week, you would get the wind knocked out of you in a way that made you think, like, "This is the end. Like, this is how I go." Yeah, yeah. I, other people were freaking out. They're like, "Do you need us to call an ambulance?" I was like, "Let's wait five, ten minutes." You know, and I mean, she was probably crying for twenty, twenty-five minutes. Until I got her calmed out. She just scared the hell out of herself. But uh, halfway through the drive home, she was talking about the next day at the track and her next crash. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't, so, yeah, the boy was a lot more uh, cautious. So I didn't ride at all today. I just spent a, a lot of time just walking through the pits, following these kids on the bikes you know, restarting the bikes for him, showed him the controls, doing some basic drill stuff, just, but just keeping everything really casual with them. Right. Alakai was a little nervous about riding the XR80. He's tall enough. He could have, but he was like, mm, the clutch is going to be weird. I'll, I'll, I want to ride the 70. I think he'll, yeah, I think getting, getting all, well, considering how hesitant he was on the 70, I think, him getting a bit more confident with this balance and everything to then go on to attack the clutch is going to be good for him. Yeah. So I put money down on, well, I already paid for an SSR 70, but I wanted the semi-automatic and you know, that's kickstart. Cause I think the kids just need to do that. They need to figure out how to crash a bike, pick it up and start it again. They just need to figure that out. Uh, uh, but it's been a long time and the bike hasn't shown up. And I have a feeling it's one of these things where SSR is just discontinuing the model and only selling an automatic. And they just haven't really communicated that very well. It's a distinct possibility. Uh, this is what happened with the Buccaneer. That that 250 V-Twin that they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's still listed on their website, but it's unobtainium. I, I, I haven't seen one since ooh, Las Vegas, I think, and mm, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a thing anymore. But whatever. Uh, it, it was a super day. Everyone made some progress. You, you made some progress with your technique, dropping your heels as you go over the jumps. Yeah. Uh. So I think you've got all the pieces on your technique. You just need to perfect it. You need to dial it in and make it automatic. I think right now the biggest obstacle in my way is fitness. Yeah. That's that's what I really need to work on. But yeah, I, I, well, I, well, before I wasn't dropping my heels at all. And now that I am, it's completely changed like my center of balance like or like what my intuitive center of balance is. So now I need to like... I, ne- I just need to do, like, 200 jumps 
and just completely recalibrate. Because I've basically calibrated with the wrong technique, and I need to unlearn some things. I need to start over a little bit. Um, but also, I just need to get a lot more fit. I, I was watching watching guys on, on the big tracks, and I didn't see a lot of them even even dropping their heels. Uh, bad technique is apparently rampant. As rampant as it is in in street bikes, as you know, as cruiser guys do a lot of things that make no sense technique wise. There's there's a lot of that at the track too. There's there's total clowns everywhere. Uh, But you know that's kind of what makes us us. We're we're on that that never ending mission to perfect the technique. Right. Um, Not that our street technique is absolutely perfect, but I'd say it's a it's better than average. We've taken the time to learn how to do it the right way. I think a, uh, an asphalt track day would go a lot easier for us than your average person. Uh, yeah, it's a first experience. I think that's probably true. So, yeah, getting getting some days into this now at the at the dirt track, it's coming together. We're we're starting to get our crew right. We were inviting a lot of random people just to like, hey, just come out for an hour and borrow some gear and ride a bike. And we we had someone do that today, and we got Dad involved. And and oh god, Dad was sold on this so fast. I think the drive through the parking lot was all it took to convince Dad that this was just a great place to hang out. It is. I, and he was so, and he was poo-pooing the idea, like, from the beginning. It's like, oh, motocross, I don't know, this is getting a little extreme. This is getting, this is this sounds dangerous. And try to come with every little ridiculous thing to say. And he got there, it's like, oh, this is great. Like, literally after he had parked the trailer, um, he said to me, Next time, I'll bring the gazebo down with me, and we'll, we'll have some more shade, and we can set this up. I'll bring some more chairs. You know, the grill worked out a lot better than I thought it would as well. That's why I told you I want to attach my grill to the trailer. Just find a way to mount it so we've always got it. It'd be good if there was just a way to like bolt it on or something. Well, except it'll just put a big greasy smoke that you know greasy thing and burn up the side of the trailer no i mean for transport oh i see maybe yeah uh hmm there's a lot of ways that can work it's fine but uh yeah we can get we can get a propane tank in the back of the truck on any random day and and all that the the trailer i oh uh, Really, the only thing holding us up with the trailer is I couldn't get it registered because Dad gave me the title for it, but never signed it. Yeah. So I, I actually, like, a week ago went down to try to register it, and it was one of those things I was walking up to to uh, to the to the lady in, in the, the DMV, and I was like, okay, I got everything, I got my... Got my ID. Got. I don't need insurance for this, but just in case, they probably need me to show car insurance because, at least in Colorado, you don't have to insure a trailer, but it just uses the car's insurance. And I, you know, part of me was like, "Are they gonna buy the the Fiesta insurance for this?" <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I'm still gonna put that hitch kit on there. 
I, I don't know that I'm going to haul the the trailer down to down to the track with the Fiesta, but I'm definitely going to haul it around town. I think you could do it with just the kids' bikes in it. Perhaps. Uh, so yeah, we're so next time we'll probably have the tool rolls, and which is going to be so much nicer because we're carrying all these fucking tools in a backpack, and it's just a hassle, and it's unorganized, and it stresses me out. And having the tools, having the awning built off the side of the trailer, having a, an easy up as well, having having the the ramps, all the stands, all the effort. I mean, we've got all the gear now. I, th- I mean, is there anything we don't have? Mm, not really. No, it's it's good. So it's all coming together. Our vision. Right, we just we just need to get the the stupid race teams, right? Uh, race team stickers put on there. I've I've settled on what was it? Uh, Charles Roost uh, financial and payday loans or capital and payday loans was going to be our fake title sponsor with, of course, Harbor Freight. Well, I don't know. Is Harbor Freight our? our well, that's going to be our tool sponsor. Um, we want so, we got we want Rough Rider condoms to be our tire sponsor. Uh, it's gonna be so dumb. <laughs> Chuck Roost Yamaha Racing. Anyway, so um, yeah, I uh, the the story of the day was Leica just taking to it. I I you know I I it is gonna be hard for anyone to talk shit to me at this point, I have created a female dirt rider. I've essentially sponsored that at this point. I mean, there's, I just the, with the way she took to it, there's, there's, this is going to go on for some time. It's just so obvious. Everyone was like, Oh my gosh, by the end of the summer, this kid's going to be so good. She just naturally takes to it. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Um, let's see. Do we want to get to best worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. Oh, I don't have one of those things. I'll just go with a stock one. Okay. So, here we go. We're about to do best worst bike in the world this week. If you haven't heard the show before, this is how this works. We each pick a motorcycle every week. We alternate who has best bike in the world and who has worst bike in the world this week. And we don't know what each other have chosen. It's always a surprise. Don't get upset. It's really just a fun way to look at two different bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. But if you do get upset, send a calmly written email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And remember, like Liza from the Misfits always says, there's no crying in motorcycles. So, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. And the best bike in the world this week is... The Yamaha SR500. Oh, I we've talked about this. I don't know if this was a best or worst bike. Well, hmm. so for this, I'm not going to pick a particular year. I'm also not going to p- pick, um, which is especially... Well, isn't important. this one of those bikes that famously never changed during its original production run? Uh, literally the complete opposite. Oh, really? It's 
different. It, well, I mean, it's it's not different in that it was always two Valve, and it was always um, kick only, and a few other things. But it was kind of different for everybody. Um, so, for instance, if you bought this in the UK, you would get a rear drum and spoked wheels. Um, if you bought it in the US, you'd get mag wheels and front and rear disc. And in you know, in, in Asia, it was something different as well. Uh, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, also, a, a little side fact that I thought was interesting, and this is something I never connected before. Um, the SR four hundred uh, is only was only sold in Japan to meet the license restrictions. And that's why Yamaha brought back the SR four hundred, because that was special to them. As that as that um as that license class. Um but it, it's kind of a little bit different for everybody. But what's cool about it is you know, this bike kind of showed up around the same time as the early XRs, you know, the Honda was producing. Because, you know, essentially, at this point, Yamaha was a mostly dirt company. They were making all dirt bikes. And they really followed Honda into the four-stroke dirt bike class with the xt500 which everybody loved at the time and you know emissions hadn't really gotten ridiculous but you know in in the late 70s we all kind of knew that the idea of continuing on with two-stroke cars was kind of a terrible idea and most motorcycles were going four-stroke you know even like into the early 60s, it was really happening. So they said, well, if we've made a four-stroke dirt bike, we might as well make a road bike. So they modified the frame a bit. They got the mag wheels in the U.S. Um, they, they played around with it a bit in the fuel tank. And they essentially kind of built this UJM out of a dirt bike. And just went with it. And it turned out to be a neat little thing. It's very sort of Honda CB350 competition. Right. Now, this bike kind of just... This this is kind of the Japanese equivalent of... You know, the Japanese answer to... Uh, well, not the answer to... This, this is the Japanese living up to the... The motto, um, there's no replacement for displacement. This is essentially doing kind of 350 twin things with a 500cc single and just throwing more displacement at it. Because it's just a two-valve single overhead cam 500, but it's a square 500. And it's getting about 31 horsepower maybe like 27 to the rear and it's still getting like 25 foot pounds of torque so it's getting some decent power and the whole thing comes in at about 380 pounds 
So this thing can easily do 75 to 80 miles an hour. And it's a slim bike. It's a simple bike. Because it's the same motor from the XT500. What's simpler than an air-cooled single-cylinder two-valve motor? Well, two-stroke. <laughs> but well, yeah. short of that, nothing. Yeah, short of that, nothing. Yeah, and it's kickstart only still. And this is kind of, this is why a lot of people were picking these up, you know, before anyone really uh thought to preserve these. These were really getting picked up and chopped up for cafe racers because it's so simple. But I mean, which is a real shame cuz they're just you know, when you think about it, like 30 horsepower, 380 pounds, like in in 1978 like this is a cool little bike yeah there's well this is the this is the textbook definition of a standard motorcycle from those times and i've always thought there's a certain dignity to a standard motorcycle when you chop yeah. it up into a cafe racer you're trying to live someone else's life a little bit I mean, that's fine. You can chop up bikes. You can make custom things. I, I'm not going to hate on that as a concept. But for the most part, especially when it's something like this that isn't huge horsepower, that doesn't have a real big racing pedigree, all that kind of stuff, there's a certain <clears throat> dignity to a CB350 that's just totally stock, an SR500 that's totally stock, an original Survivor, or oil rag restoration. Yeah. Or just like an XS650 or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's some sort of dignity about it. It's not trying to be something else. It's not trying to reinvent something. It's not trying to... It's. It's not playing any tricks. It's it's very just simple, and I'm out for a nice, simple ride, and that's enjoyable enough. I don't need to be in an uncomfortable position to try to make some sort of artistic statement, and honestly, no one really cares anyway. I mean, if it makes you feel cooler, go for it. But yeah, the quiet dignity of a standard bike, this, this oozes that. Yeah. Uh, what was the cost on these? It must have been pretty low. I don't know what the cost was, but it's it's a Yamaha, so it it would be right in line with everything else. Maybe I mean, with like a five percent premium, but I mean, but the SR four hundred is was like what seven and a half, almost eight grand. It was way it was, too much. It was for like what it two is. grand more than it should have been. Right. But that was a limited run, ridiculous kind of thing. Yeah, throwback experiment. Mm. Okay, I like it. Uh, I don't really have anything to add. I People have always said they love this motor, and... Um, yeah, some, there's something about a lot of single cylinders that look a little cheap or unfinished this is a good looking motor it is it's it, well, it's it also has a completeness to it i mean and how long you know, if you really treat one of these right like this bike could live forever like how 
you know, unless you end up like destroying. I don't, I don't even know what you could destroy on this. I'm sure there is something, but this is something that could really just last forever if properly taken care of. All right, we ready to move to worst bike in the world this week? Let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is the Hawk 250 DLX. We need to talk about this. Should, should we start by reading that email and then spin off of that? Let's, yeah, let's do that real quick. Okay. 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 Well, so, okay. Yeah. A little us. bit of a call out here. This is. Uh, okay. So Will sent us an email and he said, uh, "Any thoughts on the Hawk 250 DLX? I have zero dirt experience and was thinking that something cheap and disposable to get some training in might be good." Enjoy the podcast, by the way. Yeah, and that's it. So. Well, first of all, don't buy one. It's the worst decision you can make, even though it's unbelievably cheap. What you should do is get an SSR XT250. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, so what is going on with this bike? What is it? So this is a 2200, 2300, sometimes 2100, sometimes 1800. Yeah, motorcycle. This is an Amazon motorcycle. When you see those videos, it's like we bought the cheapest bike on Amazon. Like this is what they're talking about. And this bike is gaining some traction. There's a lot of YouTube reviews for this. And I think there's a lot of YouTube reviews for this because it's so cheap. The the reason this is becoming like a YouTuber bike is because certain YouTubers have now gotten large enough that their ad spots make more revenue than this bike costs. Right. That's why. (laughs) That's the only reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that they can buy and go, hey, the the channel bought a bike. We're going to review it, right? And this is too good to be true. So we've got to talk about SSR. We're we're big fans of SSR. And SSR are very cheap Chinese off-road bikes, a couple street models. And the reason they're so cheap is they're a little heavier because they don't have the most modern metallurgy. The engines are basically a generation ago, like twenty-year-old engine designs that they yeah. that have gone out of uh, and they and a they patent. They accept that they're not competition, and they'll bump up displacement to compete, or they'll just do with less horsepower. Right, an SSR three hundred is equivalent to a two fifty. An SSR two fifty is equivalent to a two hundred, and so on. That's right. That's kind of what's happening. But again, they they don't care because they are for they are bikes for hobbyists, and in a lot of ways, there's they're they're more bike than you can handle if you're new to the sport. There, right? There's a lot of glowing reviews of the SSR, but 
there's something about this bike. But the SSRs are still twice as expensive as these are. Right. Because the SSRs you, are very only cheap, so but they're cheap. not too good to be true. Yeah. There's only so cheap you can go because certain materials just cost money. And right. They cannot be got around. So the SSR version of this bike basically costs fifty percent more. But that's still only thirty five hundred dollars. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's not too good to be true because it's carbon. It's twenty year old technology. And you know what? Twenty year old dirt bikes, it turns out, are still very usable. And we've hit a point where enough things have gone out of patent. The the designs can be used cheaply or for free. Uh, it's all the initial factors that make things cost a lot have dropped off. And yeah. you could, you know, a, a, an SSR is a time machine. It's a view at what Honda and Yamaha and Suzuki were doing in 2001. That's sort of what it is. If you could go back in time and buy a, a CRF 250R in 2001 at the 2001 price, right. that's what this is. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's just an ability to go like, oh, I remember when bikes were cheaper and it wasn't guess what? There's a company that delivers it to you. And I'm not really aware of anyone that's doing it on that that level that SSR is. Because it's quality, it's just not it's just not gonna melt your face off. Right. Um so so this bike, YouTubers buy the thing new, it arrives, they do an unboxing, and they love the unboxing because the thing comes in a crate and you have to put it together yourself. Yeah. By the way, unboxing videos are kind of like one of the symptoms of like a failed state. Yeah. Like, how did Why? we get here? Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. So... Right. So there's, so, so they love to unbox it. It's, it's a great unboxing sort of item. Uh, then, then they take the thing out and the thing's brand new. So on the first ride, they're like, no, everything's like fine. Like, oh, it's really smooth. Uh, it's kind of got more power than I thought it would. Like, oh, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised, guys. They love that line. I got to tell you guys, I'm kind of surprised by this thing. You know, they're like, I mean, it's not great, but ooh, it's it's definitely it definitely feels like more than a two thousand dollar you know. They they want they all have exactly the same hot take on it. A lot of those are scripts. Shocker. Right. And so so the so they do this and yeah, they, they are probably given the bike to do it and <laughs> Or they bought it and it does. It's just cheap enough that it doesn't matter. Um, and then <clears throat> there's another set of YouTube videos about this thing, which is sort of the the three months in review, which is a much rarer animal. And at three months in, basically anything that could have been knocked off this bike has been knocked off. The fake skid plate is destroyed. Plastics are coming off. Stickers are peeling off. That's it's you know uh, shifters bend with the greatest of ease. Yeah, the, I mean pegs this fall is... off. Pegs rattle off. It's it's too good to be true. The suspension leaks. 
Uh, I mean, l- somehow l- there's lead in places where there is no reason for there to be lead. Yeah, you know, th- this is this is like lead in your children's toys type levels of ridiculousness, and you don't. I can see at some point there is some weird future where something like this could be made and make sense. But it's not right now. Just the cost of steel and aluminum and the precision of engineering and things like forks and and frames and in cylinders and valves. A good... A, a reliable, good bike cannot be made at this price point. Now, yeah. you can... Like, buying this brand new and knowing that no other person has fucked with it is not as good as me spending $2,500 on the 2003 YZF250 with the owner in you know building the carburetor wrong and putting the slide in backwards right and us going through all of those hours of troubleshooting and replacing the cam uh chain and everything all that time that we put in plus the extra 200 dollars on top is a way better deal than just buying one of these Mm -hmm. oh absolutely well, not only that, but well, you the bike of... you should buy for this, there is a bike of equivalent cost, mm. and and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, so I want to talk about the lies involved here. So first of all, it's not a two fifty, and normally we have a lot of leeway with claimed displacement and everything. I did hear somebody say that this was like a clone XR two fifty motor, which is a total lie. The bore and stroke are completely different. Like this is a super long stroke single as well. Is okay. It might be. I I, I wasn't able to find the engine dimensions. Uh, well, the bore and stroke for it, but I did find the actual displacement is two hundred and twenty nine cc's. Now that's close to two fifty, sure, but two thirty is already a widespread, well known off road displacement. You you can't. You, what if Yamaha just took the 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 TTR two thirty and just started calling it the TTR two fifty? People would call bullshit so fucking fast. Well, I mean, it's kind of been done before. We're, we're, yeah, <laughs> but like you know, Honda with their two thirty. Everyone's got a two thirty essentially, and and what like it's already a legitimate class. Why why lie? Why lie? Right, and because everybody wants a two hundred and fifty, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, but no one's gonna be no one's gonna be fooled into thinking this is thirty horsepower, right? Uh, so again, uh, more with the lies, the weight of the thing. Numbers are all over the place. You cannot find reliable numbers for the weight or the the rider weight capacity. So the best specs that I've been able to find on it list the weight as 276 pounds dry and then 300 and like 30 pounds wet. 
So you're expecting me to believe there's 50 pounds of fluid in this thing? It takes one liter of oil. It has a 3.7-gallon uh, gas tank. What, where's all that weight? But is this the, is the dry weight like without the tires? What's going on? I, everybody does cheat a little bit with, with, you know, wet and dry weight where they do do things like, well, let's have no gas, no oil, no, like, and, and they, then they, they, they'll do ridiculous things. Like they'll say, well, no battery. As part yeah. of the dry weight. But like this is this is pretty egregious. Right. And then this this supposed rider and cargo capacity of 330 pounds. Get the fuck out. There is no so SSR on their Enduro their 250 Enduro only claims something like you know 250 or 280 pounds, you know, rider and, and cargo or something. And those are a known entity, right? They're not name brand suspension. They're only like 41 millimeter, but I, you know, 41 millimeters, pretty beefy forks, and they're still going like below 300 pounds, mm -hmm. right? I, there's no way this is the capacity. Uh, there's just no way. So you're going to get the thing and it's going to be undersprung. You, you can't, it's going to handle like shit. Whichever number that you're going with for uh, a 230 displacement bike, it's heavy as shit, no matter which way you look at it. For a 230, it's heavy. Uh, you would expect like a, like a lot of Hondas to be, you know, in that 240 pound range for, for something like this 230 or the Yamaha, you know, that 230, 240 pounds, maybe something like that. Doesn't have all the super latent, uh, lightened, race parts on it like a like a 450f would have or something like that but but it's it's doable and you know all of a sudden this bike's 330 pounds which is <coughs> oh geez <coughs> um you know getting to be like 75 pounds heavier than my 450 what the fuck well, I think that there's another angle to this, which is, you know, okay, well, yeah, it's super heavy and it's not all that powerful and it's super cheap, but you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get for a for a cheap price, I'm gonna get a bike that I know that nobody's fucked with, that it's a new condition, any damage that's done to it is all my own, and I'll be able to take care of it after that. And it's just a nice cheap entry level thing that I can use. Raw. Right. Because how long can you just ride any dirt bike without doing any maintenance to it? Uh, 10 hours? 15? Yeah, without having to at least look it over and at least know something about the bike. Know what you need to check, kind of get a good feel, see how it's performing, check the tires, check the oil, you know, clean the air filter... All that stuff, it you know, you kind of think like, oh, if I could just get a bike in really good, reliable condition for cheap, like I, it would be so easy. 
it's never going to be easy. It's something that, you know, maintenance is something that you're always going to have to do. And if you have to do a little bit up front, unless your time is worth like $200 an hour, you know, putting that work in to just find a bike and do the maintenance that the original owner has neglected is better than buying something like this. And then whatever you do end up learning, well, I mean, first of all, it's a great test because if you're not willing to do the maintenance to do any dirt biking, it's good to learn that up front. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, again, there, there's there's a lot of different super cheap Amazon bikes like this. And but this one's kind of the leader in the clubhouse. This is the one people are talking about the most. I wonder if it has something to do with the look. We need to talk about the look because I this thing looks very 2001 uh like Southeast Asian Honda. Right? Yeah. This has got the the insect headlights. The, like everything about this is out of fashion, right? That this is like, and this isn't even this isn't even retro enough to be cool. Like the, the, this is no, this is like the ten thousand individual piece parts bin motorcycle that's put together in a city of ten million people in China that we still don't know the name of that makes like Camry and Peugeot like that makes like yeah like makes parts for Honda for Toyota for Peugeot for basically for like for a print like for everybody like it's the city that is you know bigger than Chicago that makes parts that fit into every car you've ever owned but it's just like somebody has sprung up and has like purchased everything parts been and thrown something together. Right. Like, that's what this is. I mean, just, you know, some things that this bike doesn't have as well, because it's so cheap. There's no engine oil lights. Like, if you lose oil pressure, it doesn't tell you. It won't tell you if you're low on oil, won't tell you if your oil pressure goes, the engine will just explode. That's it. it well, has, I don't know if my bike will tell you about low oil pressure. Right, but it's not <laughs> road legal. Oh, this isn't by default road legal either. Well, I, yeah, I guess <laughs> we should talk about that too. This comes not. This doesn't come with the title. These bikes come with a title application. Yes, and you've got to do some work to to get it one registered at all. And two, registered in your name for the road. Like when when you show up to to the BMV with the paperwork, they aren't aware that this exists. It's not like oh this this was sold, this was documented in a dealership, and and blah 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 blah. Like nope, 
you've got to do all that crap and it's a hassle and well also it's it's a few hundred dollars worth of cost you're going to have to get the thing inspected you're going to have to do some faffing and driving around to the police station and other places to to get the inspection you're going to have to have that notarized you're going i mean there's just shit you've got to do and it's not fun yeah it, it I mean, costs another 250 bucks you know i think when i got the uh the ubco registered i may have gotten a manager to actually like create the 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 make code for ubco in colorado Right. Yeah. yeah. You might have to go through something like that here because they're, you're going to like read off a VIN and the person behind, the person at the DMV is going to enter it and then say, that doesn't exist. That's not a real VIN. Yeah. If you have a VIN. Mm hmm. And then uh, let's talk about more of the looks on it. So this thing comes with a bazillion different sticker kits for it. There's no real uh, consistency in that. But there are three spots on it that are consistent in the styling across every color combo and whatever for this bike. There is the cheapest... Decal's not the right word. I don't think it's stitched. But... The, the the name Hawk DLX on the seat is just this block print. It's not a, a real font of any kind. It's not anything. And it's super cheesy, right? And then the exact same super cheesy print is on the stator cover. And then once more on the square swing arm. Why would you be trying to draw attention to the square swing arm? It's a good question. Mm. But yeah, don't buy this. Don't. I'm sure. And for how cheap it is, let's say it is good. Let's say it's totally worth it. Let's throw out everything we talked about. It's so cheap there's no way there can be fair labor practices involved in building this. If this is any good, it's exploiting people. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So I expect that in no time at all, like the plastic on the mirrors, on the turn signals, on... The mud guards, everything is just going to like oxidize and turn into like it's going to turn brittle and shatter in no time. Like, because again, these are like super parts bin. Oh, there was a there was a proper, you know, these were made with proper materials for like a Peugeot fifty cc scooter at some point, but then they they found the cheapest way to make a clone of them. And throw them on. Like, th- this bike does not look like this two weeks after using it. Like, it... <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, the, the deterioration of the plastics is going to be super duper fast. Uh, 
But again, this, you know, there is this, there is this sort of belief, there's, there's this weird mindset of, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to do any maintenance? And if I could just buy new at the right price, I could just avoid doing maintenance. And the truth is you can't. Right. If you're going to be a, an even halfway responsible owner, you have to do the maintenance. And the correct way is to do it yourself. So, again, at this point, a 20 to 30 year old Yamaha or Honda is still a better value proposition than one of these. Okay, that was... <laughs> We've taken a massive shit on this bike. Let's, let's back off. Let's get to uh, our uh, our other topic here, okay? So, we were talking about what if manufacturers just got way out of their lane and started building insane stuff that doesn't make any sense for their company to make? What would that look like? Would some of it be oddly genius? Could some of it work? And I think the ultimate conclusion is the only company that can truly make anything is Honda. Because every mm. single one of these bikes, Honda either does make or did make or is planning to make. So the, the first one I came up with is, what if SSR made a bagger? What would that bike look like? And I we don't have to say what it would be called. It would it would probably have like an alphanumeric designation. But what would the engine be right? Um, I kind of thought that uh, an SSR cruiser is well one insane because the by the company's no, getting known so much for off road. There's a couple street bike models, but they're standard bikes, whatever. And well, they're also making the Benellis, right? Well, yeah, would they would they make it under Benelli or, you know, but the Benellis are Chinese bikes that are rebranded, you know, the the plastics and everything are are designed in Italy, but they're essentially still Chinese bikes and whatever. Yeah. There's been good reports on them. They don't disintegrate right away. I mean, they're not the greatest, but they're fine. They're good enough. But the... Um, I think this bike would still be a single, sort of in the vein of the S40 Savage or S40 Boulevard. I think it would be a big single, like a 600 single or something like that, because SSR does singles. Uh, they might do a V-Twin, because they had the, the Buccaneer, which was a 250 V-Twin. Well, Benelli has... Um parallel twins and then they had one inline four which was the parallel twins slapped together um i don't uh i don't think they would want to do stylistically i don't think they could get the italians to design a parallel twin cruiser well, again, but, it's a bad idea. This is them getting out of their lane. What if it did happen? What, what's what what's if they conceivable? Went, what if they went crazy and took two of 
two of the three hundred uh, of the three hundred voters. Uh huh. And instead of doing them in line and making an inline four motor, made like an all on display V four motor for a cruiser, just fully on display. Perhaps I mean they'd have to come across an already existing motor that does that. You know they're not going to put a lot of R and D in. I, I, that's not really what they do. But okay, let let's just say something like that is the engine. <clears throat> I still think it's going to be sub one liter displacement. Yes, and, I, I, would, I would say probably like an eight hundred cc or something like that. Like, right now, do you think they go with? classic cruiser styling or do you think they go with something like the the vulcan s something like the vulcan s or um i think they would just kind of go back to something similar to i think it would i think they would make a copy of the indian scout that's possible yeah that 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 actually yeah that makes a lot of sense actually well, and it's funny because off-road and and cruisers are two areas where big performance isn't necessary. Right. So they, they might do okay with some people that don't need to go super fast. Uh, I, I think that might that might not be as big a concern with a lot of of buyers. And you know the 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 cruiser the cruiser crowd is getting younger because so many of them are dying off right it's not getting bigger yeah. but it is getting younger so i for for those of them that are still old and and into cruisers the the idea of selling a new bike that is still carbureted isn't crazy they might go, oh, it's carbureted. That's a real cruiser thing. That makes me feel like I'm buying something that's somewhat classic-ish, right? Uh, I, I think it's electric start. I don't think they put a Kickstarter on it. But uh, the, I think all the bodywork is plastic, but it's coated with fake chrome, like co- chrome paint. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, that's not necessarily a a cheap move. I mean, it will be for SSR, but you know, if you look at like um like a Diavel, that's an all plastic tank. There's there's hardly any exposed metal on that bike. Okay, let's let's keep moving here. The next one I've got is. What if Ducati made a kid's 50cc bike? Is it just something like a Honda CRF50? Is it a kid's racer? Is it off-road? Is it is it track? Like uh like asphalt track? Is it you know what is it a 60 or a 70cc? Uh like what is it? Well, it's gonna have an exposed dry clutch. Yeah. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to be the most difficult thing to ride ever, as everyone else is going 
as everyone else is going automatic start and two speed automatic transmission for kids bikes and all this other stuff ducati is gonna go no it's gonna have a hand clutch and it's gonna be heavy as shit right <laughs> it's it's um, still going to be desmo valve I don't gonna, know that it's, it's going to be no, Desmo Valve. It's going to be no. There's only they're they're only going to make like two thousand of them ever, and they're all going to be Desmo Valve. I perhaps, but the, I think what they do because the bikes would have to be just so stupid expensive, and it's only for crazy rich people because they're like I've got a Ducati oh absolutely, and yes. I want my six year old to have a Ducati, so it's going to look like a Panigale. Yeah, this is like um, this is gonna be like a weird like fetishist toy. Like, um, okay, this is gonna connect with like five people, but in the mid two thousands, in um, in in England, Sky TV had this whole ad campaign for for their premium channels. And it was like this weird, like Russian, like tycoon, with all sorts of elaborate, extravagant, and deviant things. And it was was like surrounded by supermodels. It was like wearing like leopard print pajamas and all sorts. And like next to him, he would just have like in some of them like a CGI two foot tall giraffe, like pet giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> that's the sort of thing this ducati would be yeah i remember when uh there used to be on uh bbc world this this uh advertisement for the wall street journal and the idea of the ad was because you read the wall street journal you're so successful that the new biggest problem in your life is keeping your children humble and so like the ads were things like you know make them make uh, make them do chores and if you have any pets make sure the children take an active role and it's like this family walking with a tiger on a leash (laughs) right (laughs) yeah i'm totally yeah i I, i'm with you uh yeah i mean why doesn't this make any sense but because you want to ease the the entry into the sport and a big problem with parents getting their kids into bikes is trying to buy horsepower, trying to buy speed, trying to buy skill for the kid, right? But in small displacement and even small displacement racing, there's nothing that counts as much as skill. I mean, between a Honda CRF 50 and a Cobra, what are we talking about? two horsepower like one is six and one is eight eight and a half or something you put the kid with more skills on the crf he's gonna just destroy the kid with the cobra that's how it works so it's it's a silly thing it's a concept that doesn't work it's been proven to not work over and over and over again but ducati might be able to sell a limited number to people that would think it's so cool to buy a miniature ducati for their kid Right. And it's not going to be practical because they can't ride it off-road. It will only be used to take to uh, to, to to road tracks that are, you know... I, like, when do you do that? Like, when is that class running? When What's happening? You know? I, it's It doesn't make... I mean, this is why they don't do it. But what if they did? Well, immediately half of them would just, like, go into... 
like hyperbaric chambers to be preserved forever. That's true. A lot of people are like, oh, I've got the Ducati 50. It's really cool. And well, yeah, a lot more of them would be used for mini moto racing. Yeah. Which again is the whole, that's just, well, now that I think of it, that's just a different version of the problem with the CRF 50, right? The CRF 50 is built with way better suspension than it actually needs because there's this idea that as an adult, you can use it as a toy, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, as a result, the bike costs way too much. Uh, in the case of a mini moto, you're doing the same thing. It's a child's race bike, but you're going to do this insanely low displacement racing with it. And it's not cool like the 85cc two stroke racing, like you see, you know, Rossi and other people doing just for kicks. A 50cc kids, I don't know. I'm not into it. But anyway, uh, let's move on to another one here. Well, what's on the list? What if Aprilia made a 300 two-stroke hard enduro or trail bike? I feel like this is something that, like, everybody at Aprilia is just, like, looking at Piaggio and saying, like, yeah, why aren't we making that? Well, I think that I think they want to make it. Well, what they would be doing is is trying to move into the KTM area. Yeah. And the problem is is that the bike would be really expensive and it wouldn't be refined in all those little ways that a KTM are mm-hmm. or a way a KTM is. It would be a little rough to start with and it's going to be more expensive. And I and Aprilia just doesn't have the racing history. Like I don't know anyone that's diehard Aprilia. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are people that are like, no, KTM's the best bike. It's the best off-road bike. Yeah, they go wrong, they break, but when they're working, they're absolutely wonderful, and that's worth it to me. Yeah, KTM just. Or Aprilia doesn't really have the cult status anymore. And it's hard to really define when they did have it. Or It's always been so super niche. And it's always been fun. And it's always had a fair amount of respect. But it's it's always just kind of been... Like, nobody really knows where to place Aprilia. Um, right yeah like that's part of the they don't have the reputation to make something off-road but you know again honda could do this no problem and honda would in fact shake headlines in a really good way if they made a 300 two-stroke uh hard enduro bike people go what and everyone knows that honda just has the resources has the r&d and has the the scale of manufacturing to make all these things make sense. So people would see the the Honda come out and they go, well, it's probably going to be a slightly milder engine than the KTM, but it's going to be less maintenance and more reliable. We understand the trade-off already. And I, I see a lot of people that would be excited for that bike's release. Just the concept of Honda making something two-stroke again would would just have massive headlines in the motorcycle world. But 
people would look at an Aprilia and go like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Like, I, even if it was a Rotax two-stroke, I, I just don't think people would have fond enough memories to actually go there. Are you, are you imagining this as a single or a twin? Oh, single. Okay. 300, single, two-stroke, fuel-injected, you know, meets all emissions. You know, it's crazy choked up because of all that stuff, just like the, the KTMs are. You can sell it in California. You can, you know, it's, it's, it's lightweight. It's, I mean, it would look awesome. I can see the bike in my head and it looks awesome. But, because uh, Aprilia would have to do something like, go back to those weird Italian off-roading years with like the Kajiva stuff and they would make it reminiscent of that era. Right? They'd do something insane like put a single-sided swing arm on it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's weight savings. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. I I think it would be really fun, but nobody would buy it. No, No right. one has confidence in them as a company. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. let's move on. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, what if Harley Davidson made a sports scooter? So you know how Harley tried to have a go of it making bikes in India. Mm-hmm. This is a market where people actually do want hot scooters. Uh, Harley could make a you know take something and rebadge it and make it more premium and see if they could edge into Yamaha a little bit with their scooter sales in India. But I think this is largely badge engineering. I don't think Harley has the resources or the desire to make it original and good and all that distinct. I think they would take something sort of unknown from Piaggio and just redo the bodywork. Yeah. And it would be like the, the new CB350 in India. It would get a lot of headlines for two weeks and then everyone would completely forget about it. People would go, oh, Harley Davidson's making a scooter. Hey, you know they made a scooter in the 50s. It was called the Topper. And everyone would have those those talking points and it would make some just real fast and dirty content and then everyone forgets about it and it's a non-story and it never gets off the ground. Yeah, I don't see it working. Well, especially since nearly every scooter is a horizontal single. Like, I don't know how, unless they went all out and did something like a Bergman 650 style bike with the engine exposed. Like, I, I don't know how it possibly works. Well, again, it's badge engineering. They're just going to take some 200cc four-stroke scooter that Piaggio makes and rebadge it. Yeah. That's that's how I think Harley would do it. But what if Harley made a scooter for the American market? Let's just get really weird with it. 
the only scooters that really sell here are gigantic scooters, 400cc and up anymore. Well, and then Honda Metropolitans. That's not true. Yeah, Honda Metropolitans, uh, Honda Ruckus. Same bike, yeah. Yeah, um... Besides that, I do see... um, I see it looking a lot like the big Ruckus, being a a 350 or something single, and just rather than the Ruckus focusing in on the utility, this focuses in a little bit more on the the sports idea of it, the the speed. They're mm -hmm. sort of like, you know... Oh, you know, it's a 300 single, but like, ooh, this thing will do 70 miles an hour, bub. Check it out. Like, this this ain't your grandma's scooter. I think that's how, that's the only direction they could go that might move the needle. But, of course, that's not what anyone walks into a Harley Davidson dealer for. Right. Uh, I don't know. They could do... Or do you think they make something like the Bergman, but even more insane? Harley just goes, we do cruisers. We're going to do a cruiser scooter. And it's going to be the most premium, the most classic, the most accessories loaded. You know, Apple CarPlay. I think you do something crazy. Like, this would be, like, so bizarre. It would just, like, shock and appall everybody. But they might come around to it. Is if you took like took something like the shape like the Bergman, and you even moved the engine a little further back, and tipped the V twin a little bit to like go up under the pillion, and just make a bit more space to keep the low seat height, and sacrifice all of your underseat storage. <laughs> yeah, and then you get rid of all the bodywork and do like a trellis frame to just show off the motor. Well, that's sort of with the big ruckus concept. The big ruckus is almost all covered up. Like it's all sealed up. Is it? I mean, like the motor should just like it should almost be like, like the, um, uh, the, it should almost be like the, the roadster. It should just, like, it should be see-through like a normal, like, like a, like a Harley. But it, but it's a maxi scooter. Yeah. And you can put highway pegs on it. They'll be totally unnecessary, but you can put highway pegs on it. Of all the theoretical bikes we've listed thus far, this is the one I would probably be most likely to buy. I don't know why, but a Harley Davidson maxi scooter uh, hit, tickles a weird spot for me. I think one of the other things you have to do is because you've got so much to play with because nobody knows kind of what this should look like or what the line should be is you do need to have a little insulated like cooler glove box that you can fit one tall boy in. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving here. Um, what if, uh, who's our company? What if Indian slash Polaris made a 250 motocross bike? 
Well, they've kind of they've already done this in the past. No, they haven't. I guess they didn't make two fifties. They made insanely overpowered five hundreds. Um, but no, yeah, Polaris and you know uh, Bombardier Polaris. They they've made dirt bikes before. I don't know. They've definitely done the four wheelers. I don't think Polaris has done a no. This was like early seventies. They did this, and they went. They were thinking of uh, Can Am or Can Am. Sorry, yeah, yeah, oh. those were cool. I would love to have one of those. No, well, so no, yeah. they've not. So here's the reason why I think this is easily the worst bike on the list. Everything about Indian is a lie. Like, oh, the, you mean oh, Indian specifically as the brand? Well, it could be just Polaris as well, but okay. But lying to us is so baked into their culture now. None of it's classic, but it's all it's all posing as classic, right? They're they're pulling off this amazing trick of trying to be sort of working man with a high price tag, trying to be classic, but the styling is a little questionable. Trading off of old names that share zero DNA with the current bikes, and. You know, like we like the scouts, um, but there's really not that much about it that's like an old scout, whatever. I think when you make a 250 motocross bike, it's put up or shut up. I think, I think that you know that bike has to be 98 percent the same as the Honda, the Suzuki, and the Yamaha because that's just the natural shape dirt bikes have taken or motocross yeah. bikes have taken. It's, and it's so I don't think that there's nothing to hide. Right. Like, I don't think Indian could help themselves, but put some weird retro ish bodywork on it and compromise the bike in several ways. I, I, I don't think they could help themselves. Like sort of like you know the uh, the FTR right the the flat track bike, mm-hmm. uh, I mean is that a, that the, see that was supposed to be this this flat track bike that you can buy and whatever but who else is making one a twelve hundred flat track bike like that V twin it it doesn't really compete against anything it's cheating no it's just it's it's purely a yeah, it's purely just like a, a street thing, you know, pulling up, pull, pulling off that styling. I mean, it's it's. I, I still don't think see... it's an awesome bike, but it's 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 doing its own thing, and it is a cosmetic thing, <clears throat> just with some nice power to go along with it. Right. When it comes to making a two fifty motocross bike. The margins are so tight on the performance. It has to be within a certain weight range. It has to be within a certain power. It has to be... Uh, ease of maintenance has to be in a certain range. It, It's it's a very specific thing. And I, I just don't see them being able to, to do it right. They'd love to be seen as a, a dirt company... 
because they think that would harken back to some sort of 1950s dirt racing heritage that isn't really theirs. But I, I, like I said, I don't think they could help themselves to actually make a good one. I think they make one and it's styled weird and the weight's off and the power's off and it's just not right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty simple one. Um, what else have we got here? Oh, here's a really fun one. This is one of the least ridiculous, but it's still way out of their lane. What if Suzuki made a two-wheel drive? Well, you know, Suzuki has done some crazy things before. I mean, there's the water buffalo, which, I mean, isn't super crazy. But if you look at the engineering of, like, the... um, Of of the the rotary motor they did in the uh, the RE five mm-hmm. that was a it, the number of things they did to make that bike work were insane. I'm trying to think like how well this is this is kind of cheating a little bit because like how many other people are making a two wheel drive vehicle. I mean, Yamaha, Yamaha's had a couple of prototypes. Uh, and besides that, there's Ubco with the 2x2. Two two. So those are the two directions. that I, I think the most realistic way that Suzuki does it, because Suzuki lives in the past so much, is they take a TW200 and they add front-wheel drive. Oh, they just add the Yamaha. What, are, is this going to be a chain to the front, or is this going to be like the hydrostatic, like put an oil pump off the crank? No, it's going to be like the Rokon, where it's like a belt drive to the front that swivels okay. back and forth. But it's but the name's going to be great because it's going to be the TW TW two hundred, <laughs> right? And, and as Rokon has proved, you don't need big displacements. But Suzuki already has this unbelievable rock-solid motor that gets awesome fuel efficiency, and I and you know it'll be it'll be like five thousand dollars or something. It's going to be priced competitively with a Rokon. I mean, Rokons are like six seven grand. They're not unbelievably cheap there might be a base model that's more like four and a half five it's been a while since i've looked at the prices on them but i think i think you could make a two-wheel drive tw tw 200 uh that makes sense now the way that makes more sense yeah is to make is for suzuki to make uh hub center motors and do you know uh, uh, a tw twe 200 <laughs> make it electric that's so much simpler but uh suzuki lives in the past suzuki is going to be the last of the big four to have an electric bike there's no there's no debate about that yeah suzuki gets pulled into every decade kicking and screaming it's true but this is the most unlikely of all the bikes 
because Suzuki is so resistant to new models and making changes. But I think this bike would instantly have a cult status. The cult that's around the TW200 already, people love how unchanged it is. And I think this is a, a alteration to it that people would find really endearing. I don't know. They may find it too complicated. I perhaps, but <laughs> it's just linkage and pulleys and 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 belts. It's not. It's nothing that crazy. They're gonna need to regear it, sure, and all of that. But and yeah, you know, and what's great is it's gonna have this ability to do all these things, and hunters are gonna love it for hauling deer out of the woods and all that kind of crap. But real enthusiasts are going to be like no you got to have the roke on cuz you can fill the tires with water and and it's so survivalist like the TW TW200 is crap because it's going to be no good in the apocalypse and I, that's stupid i who's really using a roke on right the eight people in the world and I would bet that there's less than in the US I would bet that there are less than a thousand Rokons in actual use. Right, with current plates. Well none of them are street legal. Oh, I guess that's true. Okay. But no, I mean like actually have been taken out this year. Yeah. I bet there's like a thousand. Maybe. Right. Uh well okay, so yeah, I think one thing they could add that would be really sweet, if you're going to have the two-wheel drive, I think you need to add a, um, you've got to add the, uh, <clears throat> the, the, um, the, the, what? <laughs> it's such a buildup now. The, um. A uh, winch cable spindle to the front wheel. Yeah, I agree. so that if you need to get up a hill, you can just have like this little like one in, like two inch spindle coming off the front wheel that'll spin with it. I that think, you can. I think you make that as like a five hundred dollar add on, and you make sure you put it in all the ads. But it's it's an aftermarket add on, and not many people are going to get it. Yeah. I know there is a very sketchy way you can do this with um, with any motorcycle, but you just kind of run into the the potential trap of just fucking your bike up. Yeah, just with the geometry of the TW two hundred, I I just feel like it's totally ready to accept this. Yeah. Anyway, give it a shot. (laughs) That gets us to, well, I guess, again, let's revisit sort of the conclusion. I think Honda could have made any one of these bikes. Yes. I mean, in a way, Honda does make all these bikes, except for the two-wheel drive. But how shocked would we be to see Honda make an electric two-wheel drive? Not at all. Honda makes a sports scooter. Honda makes a 250 motocross. Honda makes a small displacement cruiser. Honda makes Honda makes all of this stuff. They they're the 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 crazy thing about Honda is that they really are all over the road, but they still have such a distinct Honda feel. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas all these other companies, like like as we said, would be veering way out of their lane to make any of this stuff, and people would feel weird about it and go, "Why are they making this?" and and years from now. People like us, or maybe us ourselves, would be looking up these bikes as best worst and going like, yeah, so in 2023, Suzuki lost their mind and made a TW TW200, and it was really time to do this with electric, but it's Suzuki, and this weird bike was made that was a sales disaster, and I could totally see that. You know, and it's like, well, kind of like the, the, the... klr 650 diesel there are a group of people that are really dedicated to these but they are few keyword few and proud and and that's how that review of it would go years down the road Mm -hmm. none of this is a good idea it's all sketchy but i you know i've never heard any other podcast talk about sort of the core values and concepts of all these motorcycle manufacturers. Plenty of people say, oh, wouldn't it be great if every motorcycle manufacturer made every conceivable flavor of everything? But the truth is you want manufacturers to specialize, right? You you want them to do one thing really, really well because there's other companies that can specialize. If everyone does everything, then everything's just sort of mediocre. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're getting a, a a motocross or supercross bike, you you want to go Yamaha for 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 reasons. When you're when you're getting a super reliable lower power trail bike, you want to go Honda. When you're getting a scooter, you know Honda. When you're getting a a more affordable sports bike, you know, when you're looking for reliability. But when you're when you're going exotic, right? And price and reliability aren't a problem. You you're happy that Ducati makes those silly, silly machines, or KTM, or Aprilia, or right, yeah, yeah. You don't want them veering out of their lane. It's it's nice that some of these companies do veer out of their lane every once in a while and immediately get swatted back into their place, <laughs> right? I think uh. so. It, yeah. it, everything it's all more fun that way and every once in a while when you do find one you know you you sort of go what like that that rokon uh like 600 two-stroke pull start that, that we came up with the <laughs> yeah. other week right it, you look at that and you're like what well this doesn't make any sense <laughs> what nut job put this together yeah i it you know the world's fun that way um if we just accepted that everyone could conceivably make a good version of anything, eh, I don't know. I, I see things becoming very vanilla very quickly. So, mm. all right. Um, so, I think we can still come in. Yeah, at a pretty tight hour and a half here. And I, I don't know about you, but I am just so wiped out and tired. I, I got to call this quits. Yeah. So, right. so we're going to do... Last, so we're going to do last week's MotoGP coverage next week. Yeah, because there's still, there's no, is there a race next week? There is. Okay, whatever. It's fine. We can be a week behind. Um, Yeah, oddly, I guess I'll tease it. I don't think that the GP really told us very much, but the Moto2 was much more interesting. Yes. 
is is my is my. We, we got a mo- we got a Moto GP race that looked like a Moto Two race, and a Moto Two race that looked like a Moto GP race. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah, all right. So let's do the outro. Remind everyone, leave those ratings and reviews. It's really making a big difference. Leave that Google feedback. It's making a big difference. For a couple days, Apple Podcasts had us in like the top 10 for motorcycles. I mean, we dropped back down like 15 or 16th place. Like more people are discovering the show because of this. So interact, you know, um, what's the word? Oh my gosh, I can't think of it. The... Hmm. engage with the show in any way that you can leave google feedback leave a review somewhere tell a friend about the show because it's picking up some steam and that's really really nice so with that we'll remind everyone to stay safe stay tuned and to keep fighting the dragon you ready to do this outro swigs let's go all right and i don't want to die I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Cold.